Welcome to Caffeine, Crime and Canines, a podcast brought to you by two girls who love their dogs, love coffee, but most importantly, love true crime. All right, how are you? (laughs) Not too bad, not too bad. Um, I'm a little hungover, I already told you this, but it's, it was a great night and I'm dying to tell you about it. Oh my gosh, tell me everything. So I had Cass's 30th last night and it was a murder mystery party. Shut up. I it, <laughs> it was so freaking cool. Like it was like hosted by a guy. So he like kind of ran the whole thing. So it was like, like really legit. And we all got our characters before and, like, we just got their names and, like, a little spiel about them. Yeah. Um, and you had to dress like them, didn't you? Yeah, because it was, like, <laughs> 1920s themed, so everyone was dressed, <laughs> like, dressed like their character. I love this. Yeah, it was so freaking good. And people were, like, getting so into into their characters, like, doing accents and, like, <laughs> just right into it. And um, so the whole thing was, like... Um, this like baroness had been murdered and they were trying to figure out who it was obviously when there's all these people in the town and whatever. And then um, because she's died, the auction for her items was happening like in two hours time. So like you had to kind of figure out what, what had happened within the two hours and everyone got given an envelope that they weren't meant to show to anyone else. And um, it had a bit more information. You got some money in there as well, like so you could like buy things and do deals with other people and all this stuff. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Anyway, so I've opened my envelope and I was the murderer. Shut up. <laughs> yes, I was the murderer. And you know what? I When I read my character a few weeks ago, I said to Monkey, it's like, I bet you I'm the Anyway, so I was the murderer. So does that mean you can't really get involved or you've got to just be like you, you've got to obviously not let people know that you're the murderer? Yeah. So the way to win the game was to have the, either like the most money at the end. Yeah. At, um, and if you were the murderer, obviously not like no one can suspect you. Yeah. So I was like, right. My plan was to like just f- fly under the radar until right to the end, like like right until up to the two hour mark. Yeah. And yeah. like. Pretty much, like, just be a gossip and just, like, go around and, like, pretend it was someone <laughs> someone else and, like, really convince everyone. Yeah. So I was going around convincing everyone that it was this um, character. Her name was Glenda. Yeah. And I was just like, it's Glenda. Like, you should see what she's done. Like, I was like, I heard this about this person. I heard this about <laughs> this person. I was just, like, right into it. And then at the end, we all had to um, pick, like, three people that they thought were the murderer. And no one even picked me. Shut no one up. knew it was me. I got away well with it. Well done, Lockie. That <laughs> yeah. is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was so much fun. Like I feel like it's right up your alley too. Like you have to do one one day. It sounds so fun. I've done like a POV one for my birthday. You know where you buy a set? Yeah. 
And then like, so I had a board, I think it was, I don't know, it was my 20th, but I feel like, yeah, so everyone came to my house and then everybody got like, um, like a card or whatever. So, but it wasn't being run by someone, but Lockie, you know, what's funny. I was the murderer as well. And I was really? so upset. Yeah. Cause I was like, what the heck? Like I can't even use my skills. <laughs> See, I feel like I, like I got to use my skills, like, because I was just trying to put it on everyone else. Like I found out all this information about everyone and, um, yeah, it was just like spreading it around. Hey, so do you reckon that you like, like the, you know, that Glenda, were people like, it was Glenda, was she in the yeah, top she, three? She was in the top three. <laughs> she was in the top three. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, so yeah. It's so fun. And like the guy that run it, he was like the auctioneer. So like what, like the person that died was my birth mother and people had to come to him before the auction and de- like declare whether they were getting like her fortune or not because she didn't have any children that people knew of. But so people didn't know that I was her child. So I also had to go to him before the auction to say that I wanted the money, but I didn't want anyone to think to like to see me with him because they would know that I was the daughter. Ah. Waited right up until the auction to actually speak to this guy. And I went to speak to the guy and he's like, okay, well, if you're her daughter, do you have a birth certificate? And I was like, oh shit. That like, that's what the money was for. Like you had to like do all these deals with people. So I'd left it like literally down to the wire and I was running around trying to find who had my birth certificate. (laughs) And I ended up. So didn't they know the person who had the birth certificates, like then you're her daughter? Yes. But she didn't really have any other context to it. Uh, but this little biatch that had my um, birth certificate <laughs> was showing everyone the birth certificate all night. The show, she was going to everyone and being like, look what I've got, look what I've got. So I made out to everyone that I just didn't want anyone to know. Like I, I wanted everyone to think that, um, yeah, I didn't want them to know that she was my mum. So I paid this girl $50,000 to get my birth certificate back off her. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> And I ran back to the guy right before the auction. I'm like, here's my best certificate. And he's like, okay, well, you know, you also need to show me that you're like, because my name was obviously different. And yeah. he's like, you've got to show me that your name's changed. And I was like, shit. It's like, I don't have time for this. So I'm running around trying to find this other document that nobody had. So I just literally got a pen and paper and I wrote like change of name document and gave it to him and he took it. Wow. That's amazing. It was so good. I literally could just talk about it. Like, <laughs> It was just so good. So highly recommend. We should do one. We should get the yeah. girls and do one. We should. It was so much fun. Um, right. I don't know. I think the company for anyone in Melbourne that's interested was like called Applause Entertainment or something. Um, and he was such a good host. Like he did like an accent. Like it was just so good. I wanted, So did your friend get to pick like the situation or like is it just the one situation for yeah, all Yeah, I was wondering that. I was wondering if they have any other like scenarios. Mm. But um, yeah. so fun. It was so good. So yeah, I'm feeling a little under the weather this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I'm sure. Um, hopefully, this case will make you forget about how you're feeling, Lucky. I hope so. I'm hoping by the end I'm feeling good. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually been a bit of crime news this oh, week as well. So much crime news. Which one do you want to tackle first? Let's talk about Melissa Caddick because I feel like it's a bit um shorter yes so what's happened recently is melissa caddick's husband has been in the spotlight a little bit hasn't he yes due to the inquest so i think an inquest started this week it did yeah yeah 
Um, and yeah, I listened to that, like there's like that Melissa Caddy uh, podcast. I listened to that yesterday and they pretty much were just talking about his behavior. Like when he reported her missing. Yeah. And- Cause that's a huge point of contention is like, why did he not report his wife missing? Yes. And apparently he told police when he spoke to them on the phone, like I saw her at whatever, 5.30 AM, let's just say, right. Mm. And then he's like, no, no, no. I saw her the night. It was the night before I saw her. So there's actually like, um, like you can hear like sort of his interview with police when they arrive at the house, like when he's reported her missing. It's really interesting. And they're like, well, why wouldn't you tell? Like that's a pretty big difference. You've told one person like 5.30, let's just say, and the other one like 12 o'clock at night. He's like, I'm just beside myself. I've oh. spent all this time. Like it, it's something is so fishy oh. with him. I can't. Yeah. I cannot get over it. And it's really just his behaviour. Like I don't know. It's something so off. And they also released like her Google data that yes. showed she had a like a location pin at the Sydney airport. And when was that pin recorded? Like, I think that was the night before she went missing. Oh my god! I'm pretty sure. Actually, you know what? I'm just looking at it now. So uh, there was a potential pin data point at Sydney airport on November 13. At 11.45 a.m. found on her Google account. Sorry, Uber account. Oh, interesting. So crazy, right? But is that not like stupid to do? Like if you were trying to run it, like trying to hide yourself, why would you get an Uber? No, I don't think she didn't. So it was a ping off the Uber account. She didn't actually use Use Uber. So you know how it tracks you? Like you know how you can go into your settings and, you know, add your location to all these places? It's pinged off that Uber account. She didn't use the Uber. Oh. But imagine flying with a um, cut-off foot. And wait, well, that that's, would... an, that's, well, that's another thing that, like, that I think they'll be investigating, like, at this inquest is, like, the, like, how long could that foot have been, like, floating or, like, how, like, something to do with the salts on the foot, like how many days it could have been there or something like that. Like, so obviously like from my understanding, it it could even be that her foot like may have only been like out in in the sea for like a few days. And then again, that like, do you know what I mean? Then what the heck happened to her in all those months? Like it's just crazy. Yeah. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. And then the other news. Oh, lucky You go for it. You go for it. (laughs) So... Okay, so with the Adnan case, it is looking like the state attorney's office have discovered, like, new information, which is leading to two new suspects, and Mm. they're requesting they grant Adnan a new – like, so they're requesting for the – like, the judge to grant Adnan a new trial, which is huge. Huge, yeah, huge. But are are they admitting guilt or are they – they're trying to say like we don't think he did it because we've got other suspects or are they just no you so know how they can be a bit f- like funny about it and they can like ma- they're trying to make out like they did the right thing initially but they well it sounds like this prosecution's office isn't the same one that obviously do you know what I mean like trialed and convicted him and they've been working from from what I saw on Ravia's Ravia put up like a um clip the other day and I was watching it and from my understanding so they're working with the innocence project so Mm -hmm. they're actually working together which is amazing um 
And then they found that there was those two potential like suspects and they were never disclosed to Anand's defense, which means that's a Brady violation, which means he didn't get a fair trial. So yeah. now they're obviously like the prosecution aren't confident in that trial that convicted him. So they're not saying he's innocent, but they're saying he needs a new trial yeah. on this basis. So whether one, like there's no, I'd like nobody knows when, it's going to be actually put in front of a judge. But Ravi said it could be like anywhere between like a few days or a few weeks or a few months. Like she has no idea. But when it does, he's got like, he potentially could go home that day. But then didn't I read some, yeah, didn't I read somewhere though that they wouldn't release him? Really? Because I, I thought, oh, I read something like, like normally, yes, they, they might have been like be released on bail or whatever. But for in Adnan's case, like in Adnan's case, they they probably would keep him in custody. Because for see, that's really interesting. I don't know I, why. I don't know why they would do that. Because from my understanding, if that if that like um thing is vacated, like that's what they call like let's just say they say they've got to retry him, they need to then bring charges forward again for yeah. him. So so technically, he's not charged at that time. Because yeah. then they've got to, and not only that, but in like the brief that they've submitted to the judge, so this is the prosecution, they've put in that brief like things like Jay, how his time um, line keeps changing, about how the detectives have been investigated for like coercing witnesses. So this is the prosecution saying this. This isn't the defence. So for, yeah. like I'm pretty sure that, even Ravia, from memory, said that he could potentially be home in like weeks. Wow! And hopefully that, that's the case. I don't know where I read that. I don't know if that. Yeah. And who hopefully. knows? There's so much stuff out there. Everyone's like speculating all different things. So it's so hard to know what's real and real. what's not. Yeah. But um, oh, as think, if we shouldn't. Me and you should fly to our Baltimore for the new trial. Oh my gosh! <laughs> That's even if they bring charges towards him, because even like Ravi's like they could like potentially say like obviously we're gonna retry him, and because they're still investigating the case, they might find new evidence on someone else and not even retry him, which again is amazing. How wow. crazy! But anyway, yes. Yeah, so, so literally keep a lookout for that. And lucky if they do retry him, I'm going to start saving from now so we can get up there. Yeah. If any listeners want to fund our <laughs> yeah. trip to Baltimore, we'll report on the whole case, <laughs> like the whole trial while we're over there. <laughs> oh, my God. Imagine. Yeah, that'd be so good. But, yeah, so that's our crime news for the week. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a big week for crime news. Huge. And I think maybe we should get started into this week's case because, again, Lucky, yeah, (laughs) this is huge. Like to the point where like after we finished with this case, I think I will not stop looking into it. Like I've become obsessed again. It's Yeah, it's just it's your one, isn't it? Yes, it totally is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Should we go for it? All right. Let's go. (laughs) 
Now, the FBI has now sent out a nationwide alert on the Maura Murray case, which will help agencies from across the country better investigate the case. As WBZ's Lisa Greshi reports, Murray's family says they're hopeful that this will help crack the cold case wide open. It's a resource the family of Maura Murray has been hoping for all these years. Well, my initial reaction was questioning why it took so long. Um, it, this seems like a powerful database that could have helped um, in the previous 18 years, uh, but it's never too late, so I am thankful. Julie Murray is only two years older than her younger sister, Maura. Investigators began looking for Maura Murray, who was a 21-year-old nursing student at UMass Amherst at the time, after her car was found on a snow-covered Route 112 in northern New Hampshire on February 9, 2004. Murray was last seen on surveillance video at an ATM in Haverhill. Police say she did not tell anyone she was leaving for New Hampshire, something loved ones say would be completely out of character for Maura. And almost 18 years later, as her family is about to experience another anniversary of Mora's disappearance, they still believe the answers are out there. Feeling Mora finally being placed on the FBI's nationwide alert system for these cold cases may bring leads worth getting their hopes up for. We're never going to give up. Um, we're going to continue to fight for answers. We're going to continue to shout Mara's name from the rooftops. If you know anything about Mara's disappearance, call police right away. Reporting from the FBI office in Chelsea, Lisa Greshi, WBZ News. Okay, so this week we'll be discussing the case of Mora Murray. Now, I do want to say that Jed requested this ages ago. Like, <laughs> I feel like when we first started the pod, he's like, can you cover the Mora Murray case? And I was like, yes. And then obviously, because it's so big, I was like, We'll get to it, we'll get to it, we'll get to it, and then we're doing it this week. So yep. we didn't forget about you, Jed. Um, <laughs> so Maura was born on the 4th of May, 1982, in Hanson, Massachusetts, Massachusetts, sorry, to Fred and Laurie Murray. And again, so I remember telling you last week how freaking creepy is it that Maura and Lacey have the same birthday? Yeah, like what are the chances? I know. So Maura grew up in an Irish Catholic home. She had four siblings, an older brother, Fred, two older sisters, Kathleen and Julie, and a younger brother, Kurt. So when Maura was six, her parents divorced. Although Maura primarily lived with her mother, her and her father remained really close. Yeah. They really loved, like, the great outdoors. Like, they loved mm. camping, hiking, like... I think that, like, the weekends she'd spend with Fred, they were always doing something, like, do you know what I mean? Like, outdoorsy. Yeah. So Maura was very athletic. She participated in nearly every sport throughout her schooling. Wow. She could, I know, right? So, <laughs> And she was good at it as well. It's not like she just competed, like, do you know, because she had to. Like, she was really good. Uh, so she competed in competitive basketball, which as a teenager allowed her to travel all over New England. Wow. But Maura's greatest passion was running. She always finished in the top tier and broke several school records. In 1998, Maura finished 33rd in the country in the two-mile after qualifying for like, it was like some national outdoor championships. <laughs> wow. And so this is something that she had in common with her dad. I think he like really trained her. And her sister. So I think her her and her sister, uh, Julie, were only two years apart. 
And I feel like they were really similar. Yeah. So not only was Maura a star athlete, she also excelled academically and graduated at the top of her class in high school. So again, following in her older sister Julie's footsteps, Maura applied and was accepted into the United States Military Academy at West Point. Yeah, even like obviously we don't live in America, but we, like I know of West Point, like that's how big it it's is. It's huge, exactly. And this is a military school and as you can imagine, it's not easy to get into. I actually Googled it and Google says like, quote, point, West Point admissions is extremely selective with an acceptance rate of 9%. Oh. So you can imagine like for her to get into it, that's amazing. Yeah. Her and her sister. Yeah, that's crazy. So there she studied chemical engineering, but she left after three semesters. So while studying at West Point, Maura was caught stealing a $4 lip gloss. And I think this store was like specifically for cadets. So the fact that she like even did that, like it's it's really like people all over the place are like obsessed with like, that part this of it. incident exactly and honestly like I think it could be a few things like she could have just forgotten it she could have maybe she just wasn't enjoying the cadet side of West Point which is what her sister yeah. has gone on to say so maybe it's just her way to get out of it but I feel like she, like and this is her sister says she's not dumb like it's not like she did it on purpose and thought she was going to get away with it you know what I mean yeah yeah so this is obviously against what West Point stands for as cadets, quote, can't lie, cheat or steal or tolerate anyone that does. So this incident led to Maura having to attend an honour hearing. So this hearing is run by peers and other cadets. Yeah, you have to have, like, someone vouch for you, don't you? Like, yeah, like a student, another, like you pick another student to come and, you know, like defend you. Yeah, how crazy. Mm. So it's like a little, like, system within, like, this, like, West Point. It's really weird. So Maura met her boyfriend, Billy Roush, through this process as he was helping her prepare for the hearing. So as I was saying earlier, so Julie, Maura's sister, has explained that this time in Maura's life was really stressful and she had fallen behind in classes and practice. So this is where law, uh, sorry, where Julie saw, sort of mentions that Maura didn't really enjoy the military side of West Point. Yeah. And if she had not left when she did, she would have had to serve five years. So she would have been locked in for five oh, years. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So after leaving West Point, Maura transferred to the University of Massachusetts Amherst. I'm just going to call her UMass. Yeah. Uh, to study nursing. And yeah. so Maura's mum was a nurse. So I think it's really, like, interesting that she's always sort of following in the footsteps of her family members. Yeah, like she tried what her dad was, you know, wanting her to do, didn't work, so she just moved on to the thing her mum did. Yeah, yeah, like she followed her sister and now she's now, like, her mum's a nurse and now she's, like, she's, you know I mean, enrolled in nursing. Anyway, I just thought that's really interesting. Mm. Okay, so this was in October 2003. So her issues sort of followed her to UMass. So stories have come out that she stole another student's credit card numbers. Yeah. And she was she used it at least like four times late at night to buy food. 
So it's not like she was using it, like, going on shopping. Yeah. Like, like, sorry, what were you going to say? No, 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 you you tell me. Yeah, it's not not like she um, was just reckless. Exactly. It's actually just like to steal. Like, you know, like, there's there's the people that are just, they don't need the things. They just like the thrill. Yes. And it's funny you say that because even with that lip gloss, like, she had the money to pay for it. She just didn't, you know? Yeah. Although with this credit card number numbers thing, apparently like a lot of people were doing that sort of thing on campus. So whether she just didn't think it was that big of a deal, it's not like she's going to buy like a TV or something. Yeah. Like she's using it for pizza and like subs and stuff like that. So yeah. I, I don't know if it was just like meh to her, you know? Yep. So in November 2003, she was caught using this stolen credit card. She then had a court hearing in December ruling the case to be dis- uh, dismissed for good behaviour after three months. So Maura worked two jobs while she studied nursing. She worked at an art gallery and also as campus security. So I feel really? like her campus jobs. security, I didn't know that. I feel like with her jobs though, they're not, like they're responsible jobs. It's not like she's working at like fast food places, you know. Yeah. So on Monday, February the 9th, 2004, Maura was using the internet till 4 a.m. Searches on her computer include directions to the Berkshires and Burlington, Vermont, like, area. Yeah. And also she had searches on there um, regarding, like, the effects of that alcohol has on pregnancy. Mm. So at 12.55 p.m., so this is like the following day, so that's early morning, following day, Maura called the owner of a condo in Barlett, New Hampshire, where she had stayed before with her family. So remember, like as I said to her, her family were always like outdoors hiking and things like that. So this place is like really familiar to her and special to her. Yeah. So the lady doesn't remember what they spoke about but is sure that it wasn't like the condo wasn't rented out to Maura or anyone else that day. Okay. So other calls that day included to a ski resort in New England and Ghosto. So I think this is like a visitor's number that gives like information about booking hotels in that Stowe area. Hmm. So I think, again, I think, I don't know if this is like a skiing sort of resort. Yeah, okay. So straight after that particular call, she phoned Billy, her boyfriend, so this call went straight to voicemail as Billy was on the phone to Maura's friend, Kate, which I think is a bit odd. Yeah. So Billy attempted to call Maura back three times with no luck reaching her. We know Maura had emailed Billy that day, I love you more stud. So this is her email, right? I love you more stud. I got your messages, but honestly, I didn't feel like talking too much of anyone. I promised to call you today, though. Love you, Maura. So I don't know when this email was sent, but from my understanding, it was sent that day. That same morning, Maura submitted homework and sent an email to her college professors. And in this email, she says that she's going to be absent from, from school for the week due to a death in the family. Yeah. Now, this is a lie. There was no death in the family. Yeah. 
So this is what she's told her college professors. She's also told a friend this as well. Um, so uh, this is like what the story she's going with, why she's, why she's going to be away for the week, you know? How old is she at this time? 21. 21, yeah. So I feel like I would have done stuff like that. Yeah, like maybe she just needed a week off and apparently like even like studying and nursing is really full on. So maybe she just needed, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, a just break. A break, yeah. And, and can I tell you, emailing her professors makes me think like she's going to be back and she doesn't want to be in trouble for taking the week off. Yeah. So more than packed her car with items she'd need for a few days. So this included like, you know, your normal stuff like, you know, toiletries, makeup, workout stuff, books, like, you know, whatever you think you'd need for a week away, that's what she packed in her car. Yeah. It's believed that Maura left the school campus between 3 o'clock and 4.30 p.m. that day, depending on your source. She withdrew $280, which was almost all of the money she had in her account from an ATM. And this was just off campus and it would have been around 3.15, although I've seen some reports at 3.40 as well. It's really hard to like narrow down the times. Yeah. The recently re- uh, released footage shows that Maura was alone when she was withdrawing this cash. So Maura also stopped off at a nearby liquor store purchasing about $40 worth of alcohol. This, fo- this particular fo- footage has never been released. So before leaving the area, Maura dropped off her clothes that she'd borrowed from a friend and she also picked up an accident report form for which we'll get into shortly why she was picking, why she was picking up that form. But, yeah, she picked that form up as well before she left the area. Yep. Maura then drove about three hours heading to the White Mountains. So... She had visited them, as I said, often with her family in both summer and winter. And, like, I feel like she was, I don't know. Like, this is, I just find this really interesting because she, she's going up there to where her family visit, but she's not going with her family. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. she's going alone. Mm-hmm. So at 7.30 p.m., Maura crashed her car on Route 112. Again, depending on reports, she either crashed into a tree, um, which honestly I don't really think that was the case. That's what some reports say, but I think it's more likely that she's sort of like hit like a snowbank or ditch because it was quite a sharp turn. Yep. So the car accident took place in front of three residences. The crazy thing is if this happened a little more down the road, she would have just entered like a forest area, which is quite remote. And it would have been like, you know, like no one would have been around. Whereas this happened in front of like houses. Yeah. Yeah. So Faith Westman heard the loud thud and could see from her window, a car had hit the snowbank. Yeah. At seven at 27 PM, Faith called 911 to report the accident. In the 911 log, it states that Faith had seen a man in the car smoking a cigarette, which she later has corrected and said, oh, maybe it wasn't a man smoking a cigarette. Maybe it was just like a light sort of beaming that maybe like from a phone or something like that and she thought it was a cigarette. Mm. I feel like it's the only thing I find really weird about this is, is that it's in the 911 log. 
to then yeah. made the effort to type it when she said it. Yeah. Is, is it weird that she even called 911 for a little accident like that? Or um, Well, apparently, so the accident, so Maura's hit the snowbank and she's, it's sort of her car sort of done a sort of U-turn facing in the opposite way. And maybe she could see like. So it just looked a bit worse than it probably was. Yeah, and, I mean? th- yeah. And, and, she, and she was off the road as well. So whether she thought she'd hit a tree or what it was, like, I mean, the accident itself, like both the airbags were deployed. Deployed, yeah. Yeah, so and I don't know if Faith could see it from there, but maybe she just thought like obviously this person's going to need help. Like maybe they're stuck in the snow, like whatever it is, maybe just to be safe, you know. Yeah. She wasn't the only one that called 911 as well though. So obviously maybe it was – you know, like something. Normal. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So a police officer was dispatched within minutes of receiving the call. Now at 7.30 p.m., another neighbour named Butch Atwood arrived at the scene. Butch, who was driving a bus, and from what I've seen, it's like his name suits him, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. So he goes up and offers to help Maura. He has said she looked cold and scared. She turned down his offer for help and asked him not to call the police as she'd already phoned Triple A. So Butch knew that she was lying as there was no service or reception in that area because he lived like right there. Yeah. So he's driving home. He sees her. She says no, right? So when he returned like 10 minutes later to his house, he told his partner to call 911 yeah. and this call came in. So I think that he originally called at 7.40 but the lines were busy, which is really weird for like 911, right? So it ends up being redirected. All this stuff happens and they end up connecting with like someone from the department at 7.42 p.m. Okay, yeah. So police arrived at the scene at 7.46 p.m. They found the car but no sign of Mora. So the doors to Mora's car were locked, but police could see, like as I was saying, that both airbags had been deployed and there was a crack in the windshield. So there was also a rag stuffed in Mora's tailpipe, like in the car. Oh. Right? And the police noted that there was a red box of wine behind Mora's seat and what seemed to be like red liquid stains like inside her car and like there was like a patch sort of underneath her car as well, which they thought was like alcohol. Yeah. So this led them to believe that Maura may have been drinking and that had left the scene on foot so she wouldn't be caught. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So they put out a bolo, which is a be on the lookout, and they sent off, like, the EMS because they're like, well, no one's here. It's, like, do you know what I mean? There's nothing really we can do at this time. Yeah, yeah. They did have a look around. So after a small search of the area, so this is Butch is helping them, firefighters and obviously the police, they leave the scene at 9.26 p.m. And they just believe that Mora would resurface. Yeah. Like that she was walking it off. Um, they did look around the woods and as I said, it was snowing. So I don't think it was snowing at that time, but there was snow around and they could see that there was no footprints like leading into the woods. Mm-hmm. So this is literally 
the last time anyone had ever has ever seen or heard from Mora. Yeah. Like she's never been seen from seen again. of again. Yeah, exactly. So whatever happened to Mora has been narrowed down to seven, like a seven minute window. But keep in mind there were three households that had eyes on the scene. So for her to leave the area, nobody saw anything. But everyone, like it would have had to have been like a really short amount of time because there's so many people looking at the scene. You know, it's like if something happens out your window, you're sort of like peeking like, yeah. you know, every few minutes. That's what I'm imagining. Yeah. So both her phone and bank account have had no activity since this night. So let's rewind a little back to the weekend before Maura's disappearance. So on Friday, February 5th, 2004, all classes at UMass were cancelled due to the snow. There wasn't any activity on Maura's phone that day. So we don't know what she was up to, but we do know in the evening Maura was working her campus security job. Now, technically, she was on a shift, but from her phone records, it doesn't look like she was doing much actual work. Mm -hmm. She spent most of her shift on the phone. There were multiple calls to her boyfriend, Billy, and these calls lasted anywhere between like a few minutes to like 10-minute calls. She also had spent about 30 minutes talking to her older sister, Kathleen. Kathleen has said they were talking about her husband and how he owed his ex money, okay. but she later revealed publicly in 2017 that she was a recovering alcoholic and that day she'd actually been discharged from rehab and her husband had picked her up that night and taken her straight to a bottle shop like from <laughs> rehab. I know, right? Oh, my God. So during her shift that night, uh, Maura broke down in tears to her supervisor Her supervisor has said she was completely, this is quote, completely zoned out, no reaction at all, and she was unresponsive. When she asked Maura what was wrong, the only thing Maura could get out was my sister. So you reckon just worried about her sister? Yeah, so this was like a massive thing because obviously like when she went missing, nobody knew like why she was so upset, but I think this sort of explains it a little bit now that Kathleen had, like when Kathleen came forward and explained the situation, like yeah. whether Maura was just like trying to remain strong for her and then like obviously maybe she thought like, do you know what I mean, oh, not again or, you know. Yeah. So Maura was escorted back to her room by her supervisor and this was around 1.30 a.m. Now that same night around 12 a.m., a hit-and-run victim was found. Now, he did pull pull through, but his injuries were very serious. Like, I'm pretty sure he was in a coma for ages. Um, And I'm putting this in there because when we get into theories, I feel like we'll discuss it. But at the same time, like, I'm putting it in there because I feel like it's a part of the story, but I don't really think it is part of the story. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So following the following day, so this is now Saturday the 6th, Fred, Maura's dad, drove down to UMass. He arrived around lunchtime and picked up Maura to go shopping for a new used car. So Fred bought with him $4,000 in cash. Yep. 
People have become obsessed with how he withdrew the cash because apparently he visited like several ATMs. But from my understanding, there was just like an ATM minimum. So he had to yeah. travel around like to get, do you know what I mean, the money out. And what did you say? It was a Sunday. Like he couldn't go to the bank. Saturday. Yeah, it was a Saturday. Yeah, exactly. Saturday, like yeah. They were closed. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, it's not that odd. No. Um, so they didn't buy a car that day because I think that the car that they had found was $6,000. So Fred thought like, you know what, I want to get a the better car. So like, do you know what I mean? We'll, I'll come down with more money I don't know, in the coming weeks or whatever it was, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but spending the day car shopping has been corroborated by the call they placed in that afternoon because they had called like an auto auto place. And I'm putting that in there because people like, maybe they didn't go car shopping when I'm pretty sure they did, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that evening, Fred, Mora, and her good friend Kate went out for dinner. After dinner, they stopped off by a liquor store and then they dropped Fred off at his hotel. So Maura was using Fred's car that night because hers was on its, like, last legs. Yep. Maura and Kate continued on to their friend Sarah's dorm for a party. Now, this party is a massive talking point in the case because there are literally no details about it. It's like nobody wants to talk about it. No one has any memory of it. Like, was it an actual party? Was it a gathering? Was it just the three girls? Like, no one knows anything about this thing, right? Okay. And it is weird that the girls aren't really open about talking about it. Mm. So Kate and Maura left the party at around 2.30 a.m. So Maura dropped Kate home. And at 3.30 a.m., so this is early that Sunday morning, Maura crashed Fred's car at a T-intersection. <sighs> My God. So this is now like her second accident. Well, this was the first accident uh, technically, but she's crashed the car, like a car two times in the space of a few days. Do you reckon like, because you know how you said um, she was looking up like how does alcohol affect a baby? Like do you reckon she was pregnant because – I feel like pregnancy brain is a thing. Maybe that's why she crashed so many cars. It's so funny you say that because I was going to get into this in theories, but let's touch on it now. So that is a massive theory that like either she was running away, like she was pregnant. Um, but one of her like um, friends that was studying, like doing the nursing course with her has said that they were actually in the middle of doing like the um, mid, uh, mid, is it midwife? Like oh, study, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, and they had assignments regarding like pregnancy and alcohol and things like that. So that's sort of been ruled out because of this friend that's come forward. Yeah, okay. And apparently, one one of the assignments she had sent that night was to do with like the effects of alcohol on pregnancy or something like that. Yeah, okay. Um. The only thing I find weird is that, I mean, the police probably do know about it. I feel like it's weird that one friend has said it, but it's not part of the narrative. Like if that was the case, wouldn't lots of people have shut it down by now? I don't know. I just find that a little bit strange. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I'm sure the police have that information. If she did send a, like, assignment that night to do with that, I feel like that does rule it out. Yeah. So there was nearly $10,000 worth of damage done to Fred's car. Mm. And this was a new car as well. So poor Fred, honestly. (laughs) 
So the police did not conduct any sobriety test and let Mora leave with the tow truck driver as he would be driving past Fred's hotel, like to take the car. Yeah. Back to wherever it was going, if you know what I mean. So the tow truck driver dropped, uh, dropped Mora off at Fred's hotel and this was around 4.45 a.m. So Mora then spoke to her boyfriend, Billy, twice before going to sleep. The calls were placed using Fred's mobile as she had left hers at Sarah's. It's weird. So, yeah, I thought that was weird as well that she left her phone behind. And called at, her boyfriend on her dad's phone. Yeah, but I reckon I think she'd call him to tell him, like, I'd gotten into an accident. Um, not only that, but I guess if he's trying to contact her and she doesn't have her phone, maybe I feel like I've done that multiple times, like yeah, being okay. like, mum, like I need to call Tony. Like, do you know what I mean? I left my phone out of somewhere or so, all my phones not died, but like, do you know what I mean? Like my phone's yeah. broken or actually I've got a funny story that like I used to meet my friend every Saturday morning at steps and my phone freaking just died. Like I couldn't, I know something happened to it. So I had to use my mum's Facebook to stalk my friend, to find her, to send her a Facebook message to say, I'll still be, like I'll still meet you at the same place at the same time. I just don't have a phone. So I don't know. Like I feel like that happens. Like nowadays you've got like Instagram and you can easily like, I don't know, contact someone. Whereas this wasn't even that long ago, but like as in like 2010, 11, you only had your phone and like a few other things, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. So yeah, the calls, it's weird, but it is what it is, I guess. Um, <clears throat> that morning, Fred arranged a rental car to get him back home to Connecticut. He dropped Maura off at his at her dorm on his way home. Her phone records were quiet that day, but it could be because, you know, she had left her phone at Sarah's. Mm-hmm. The first activity you see on her phone was just after 8 o'clock p.m. where Maura called her voicemail. She also called Fred at 11.26 that night. He has said that she was worried about the insurance. Yeah. And he told her, like, don't worry, we'll, like, we'll sort it out tomorrow, you know. Mm-hmm. But obviously she was really upset about that car crash. Yeah. So Maura did not tell anyone of her plans to leave the area that day or where she was heading that Monday afternoon. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, Lockie, maybe we should split this up into a two-parter. I think so. Because we have a lot more to get into. I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it is more like theory-based and um, where she was heading and things like that. But it, we've got, yeah, a bit to talk about. So yes, let's make this a two-parter. Yeah, sorry, everyone, <laughs> but it'll be worth it. Yeah, totally. Hey, and quickly, I've got something to tell you which I don't think that I ever have told you and it sort of relates to this case and you oh right you just well not really you but it's weird right this is weird so when I was like do you know when your wedding anniversary is obviously you should know yeah and what's the weekend that uh, the date that Maura went missing right is it the the same day it's the day after okay yeah right Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she went missing on the night. Anyway, so Danny and I drove up to, um, obviously, to, um, why am I blank? 
if I was at where you My wedding. Well, your <laughs> to wedding. Warnable. You know, yeah. To Warnable, yes. Yeah. So Danny and I drove up to Warnable. We did like a road trip up there. Anyway, on the way back, we were like going through like, I don't know, like there was just no one around. And I was telling Danny about Mora Murray. And I'm like, oh, maybe this, because I'm very much a suburbs girl. Like, I don't really go out any, like, as in out into bush or anything. Like, I'd have no idea. <laughs> so when we were driving back, I was like, oh, this is creepy. Something about this reminds me of Mora Murray. And I was telling Danny the story. Anyway, and I was like, I wonder when it was. And I looked up the date and it was the exact <gasps> date she had gone missing. How creepy That's is that? That's crazy, yeah. Anyway, I, that, I don't know why. That, that's just really freaking creepy. That creeped me out. Um, yeah. That I thought about her on the day that she actually went missing years yeah, later. that's crazy. But, yeah. Anyway, um, let's pick this back up next week, Lockie. Yeah, I think we will. Um, if you have a case you want us to cover, send us a message on Instagram. Our Instagram handle is at Caffeine Crime and Canines. And until next week. Until next week. Bye.